0: Hey, firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Well, it's been a minute. It's been a little while since we've released a uh, podcast for the firecracker department. And I have to tell you, we have been busy. The actioneers have been working their butts off. We've got Lisa Lafferty, who's the head of our writing department, she's been doing some great writing and script workshops, we had a script reading that was so fun. And then we've done our annual Artist's Way workshop that was run by Veronica Martin, head of our mentorship department. She's been working on some new mentorship panels coming up. And then, of course, we've got Anita McFarlane, who's been doing our regular firecracker brunch on Sundays, where you just get to hang out with fellow firecrackers. And then our Thursday night, we call them firecracker Burst sessions, but they're like writing gyms. And, uh, and he's been hosting that. And then of course, Pau Carranza has been doing all our amazing communications department things and keeping in touch with you, even if we haven't been putting out podcasts. Um, but this one, I'm excited. I'm excited to come back. It's sort of like this sort of um, like, a, like a surprise present, like one of those Kinder eggs when you're like, oh, fun, I get chocolate. And then you eat the chocolate and you're like, what? I get a prize as well? I get a little toy? so that I can put the toy up on my shelf and remember, oh, that was such good chocolate when I had that. So this episode is twofold. Firstly, I'm gonna talk to, oh, I'm gonna get emotional. I'm gonna talk to one of my favorite people, Amanda Bruegel. Okay, Amanda Bruegel, you'll know from things like Handmaid's Tale or sort of on CBC and HBO. Uh, she's also on Kim's Convenience. She was on the movie Ash Grove. Uh, she was in Pretty Hard Cases, Infinity Pool. Oh my gosh. Just one of the hardest working artists I know. Uh, upcoming, you're gonna see her in Dark Matter with Jennifer Conley, Year of the Fox, Parish. She doesn't stop. She was on Canada Reads, her book one, and she just kills it. She just approaches everything with such grace and strength and charm and just the right amount of Amanda Bruegel, Silliness. And so every year, for those of you who don't know, every year at the Firecracker Department, we hold a big brunch uh, during the TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, this year, 2023, it's September 9th, so make sure you subscribe to our newsletter to get invited. So during our TIFF brunch, we give, we give two awards away. One is called the Red Point, which goes to a woman or non-binary artist over 50 that is creating and still killing it in the community. And then we also give an award called the Blaze Award. Now the Blaze Award has been given to people like Jan Arden, Joe Vanicola, Michelle Bouteau, and this year we gave it to Amanda Bruegel. The Blaze Award goes to somebody who isn't just doing one platform of creative action, but many platforms. And if you know Amanda, that's her, that's her. She was on RuPaul's Drag Race and killed it on that too. But then she's also writing a TV show. And she's just, she's one of those people that is a leader just by their presence. She walks into the room and has this power that people are just drawn to, but also they're like, how do I? (laughs) I mean, I think it too, I see Amanda and I'm like, oh my God, she's stunning, but she's also so smart, so talented, kind, and generous for days. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky to have her as a friend. And then when I asked her if we could marry the idea of a Blaze Award with a short Blaze Award podcast, and she said yes, I mean, I'm snapping my fingers on that one. I was really excited. So we're calling it The Blaze Sessions, and Amanda Brugel is our very first host, and I'm jazzed. I'm not gonna tell you much more because I'm gonna get Amanda to chat about it at the end of our discussion. So that's why you get this sort of kinder egg deliciousness coming up. We're gonna first talk to Amanda about Amanda brutal Things and then we're gonna launch into what we want the Blaze Sessions to be. Now I will give you a little bit of a uh, behind the curtain information. We recorded this back in September, 2022 when we were just getting ready for the TIFF party and we wanted to launch as part of it. And then we got really lucky and had Jennifer Morose join us as a consulting producer. So that made us all just come together as a team. And uh, it's been really a treat to work together on this project, The Blaze Sessions. So that's it. I'm not gonna tell you anymore. Here we go. This is the episode with Amanda Bruegel, which will launch a beautiful eight-part series of The Blaze Sessions. I'm so happy that we're doing this. Like, we haven't seen each other and had, like, a good Sneakers Bruegel hangout. And I was like, oh, we should probably hang out. And I was like, no. Because then we would just, like, it would be, like, le- like balloons going, magical Bruegel balloons going into the sky. And I want to capture it.
1: Oh, God, I can't wait. Um, uh, I'm excited because we're sort of just uh really coming up with, not coming up with, but really discussing what we want to accomplish. Yeah. When we do talk to, when we, we, you and I could talk to one another forever. forever, but I'm really excited to talk to some of the guests that we have lined up to just hear from other women and really shape what we want to get out of this. I
0: know. Okay. So here's the skinny. We're going to just do a Bruegel chat and then we're going to, yeah. And then we're going to talk about that secondary surprise. So stay tuned, listeners, for the secondary surprise. But this is the first time. So whenever I've done, like, the podcast chats with folks, we don't video record them, but we're video recording this one. So you're, like, the very first one. Exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, So I'm going to just dive into some Brugel stuff because I just want to – this is the thing I love about Firecracker Department Chats, is we're not, like, really chatting about, like, what's on your resume. We're talking about how did you get to that resume. And I feel like – You know, Amanda, you're such a, oh, I have so many words. I have, like, force, uh, powerhouse. I have, like, driven. I have so many of these words. But people don't know, like, how hard you work and where you came from. Do you Uh, know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if I'm
1: going to be honest, we'll dive right in. Please
0: do, first of all. People
1: don't know uh, how hard I work because I try to keep that very secret, And I don't know if that is a, uh, particularly a female thing or a me thing. I think it's a bit of both, but I do this thing where I really sort of, I'm reluctant to talk about the incredibly difficult moments, which I've had The beginning of my career. I've been doing this for 25 years and I only really found success or momentum in the last seven. And so for the majority of my career, it has been heartache and crushing, crushing disappointment. What are
0: we doing?
1: And I never talk about it. I always am like, and too optically on my Instagram, I curate it to be hopeful because I I hopefully want to inspire other women and I like putting positivity out in the world, but there's also a part of me that doesn't want to uh, address the failures publicly because somehow it will make me seem weak or somehow it will oh. make me seem, I know I'm, I'm better now after the death of my father and a divorce. But <laughs> you I, just pushed your hair
0: back as you if did. you had hair to push back.
1: Did. I do it all the time now. I push more hair back now that I have this,
0: than I i like it. Um, I struggle I, with this too, Bruno. Yeah, like, yeah, of course, because we're supposed to like have this perception of like power and strength and, and I mean, this is something I'm changing my mindset too. Of like, why is it that my struggles aren't powerful? I know they're, they're more, right? They're more. They're yeah. relatable because if I went, "Hey, this is me, all perfect." Yeah. I didn't. I didn't curl the back of my hair, just so you know. Nope. No,
1: but no I not curl mine either.
0: <laughs> but if that's like the perception, everybody's gonna go, "Well, that's not relatable," because that's no. not me. But if we show our like nooks and crannies,
1: hmm Nooks and crannies, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. This is um, the other thing about this podcast. It's the first time we're not editing.
1: Oh no, you gotta edit.
0: Nobody, none. We're just well, gonna let it. it's more than
1: nooks and crannies.
0: I mean, if that comes out, it comes out. It does. It really so, does. So then, how did you shift? Like, how did you like? Was there something along the lines that you're like, I I gotta shift this, or um, what is your mindset now? Uh, my, well, my mindset now is just tell the
1: truth. I, the, the, the one line my kids know and have known since they were born is, uh, tell the truth and you don't get in trouble. And so I, and That's I good. You know, make them say it all the time. And I started first and foremost telling the truth to myself. I think I, I mentioned it earlier. I lost my, uh, father and my, um, I got a divorce. The same weekend that I buried my father, uh, the weekend that I buried my father is the weekend I also separated from my ex-husband. And so I was, you know, planning a funeral and uh, movers were coming in and out and taking half of the furniture that I owned, had owned for, you know, 15 years. And I was still, you saw me at the funeral, you snuck me in booze and it was amazing. (laughs) I mean, what kind of Uh, friend would I be if I didn't
0: sneak in booze to your father's funeral?
1: But I, I had a, I had a moment where I was, you know, planning the uh, after party. It's not a, yeah, let's call it an after party of my dad's celebration of life and still trying to like host my ex-husband's friends that were moving his stuff out. And I was still trying to make everything perfect. And even though they're the most devastating circumstances, I lost the two most significant male figures in one weekend of Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. i was still like everything's i'm good i'm good A coffee anyone my dad's dead it's okay it's fine and i just had a moment where when the furniture was gone out of my house i i fell down on my knees on my living room floor and it was echoing because there was no furniture in there and i was on my hands and knees and i cried a cry that i can only express as like a werewolf sound Mm -hmm. and i think from then on i stopped having to control the control. I, I completely fell apart and in that moment I've always been so afraid of falling apart and losing control and in that moment I let myself fall mm-hmm. and I didn't die. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that moment, I can really pinpoint it, from that moment I started going forward with not having to uh, be as perfect or presentable or um, uh, Making sure that everyone knew I was always good and always, uh, always completely together Mm -hmm. because in that moment by myself, I realized that I wasn't going to die if I allowed myself to fall. And so I brought that into work, my work more. I brought that into relationships, most certainly relationships and romantic relationships. I brought that into my new partnership. Into dealing with my children, mm-hmm. um, if I'm having a hard day, particularly during uh, lockdown, I would tell my kids the truth. Mm-hmm. I didn't get in trouble that mummy's having a hard day. I just started being more open with the sides of me that um, are struggling, mm-hmm. and I find I found that that opened a success that I couldn't possibly imagine because it probably opened up a vulnerability and a relatability mm-hmm. to audiences or to. Casting directors, or to even just my parts that had never been
0: there before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about that change in process for you, because because I feel like I mean I feel like things started to shift with Room for you. What do you uh, think? Yeah, but that was before your pops passed away. That
1: was before my dad passed. I mean, Room and Handmaids and Kim's were before my dad. Past and so those were, I suppose, career markers that were successful. I think having children really changed mm-hmm. things for me. um I owned a, a dress shop. Uh, I quit acting and owned a dress shop
0: for. I a mean, this of- is this whole other Amanda life that I, we have to address at some point. When people like like the awards that you got. Okay, wait, we're gonna come back to this. I want to come back to the 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 scholarship okay. stuff, but I want to know like like. Because the process that you used to do, Mm -hmm. uh, preparing and um, getting into roles as an actor, how did that shift?
1: That's what I'm saying. I owned a dress shop. Okay. And and I quit acting because I couldn't do it anymore. I tested so many times in L.A. and I kept getting, uh, I kept failing. I got a show. uh, Bernie Mac was the lead. And then he passed away. God rest his soul. That's not, it's not a tragedy for me. It was just, I, I just... I was just so tired of testing and screen testing and not booking anything, so I quit acting. Opened up a dress shop where I dressed Canadian celebrities and Canadian designers. That was hell. I love actors, but we're crazy.
0: Oh my gosh! Um, How did so- you manage that? I would have lost my mind. Not only that, but just watching the things I wanted to be doing.
1: I mean, that it was. I was so detached from acting right. as a whole. It did a number on me that I was okay with it. It was more just dealing with the personalities and the fragility of artists that I love, but I, I'm not a psychologist. It was difficult to navigate and accessorize at the same time. Um, <laughs> but one or the I, other would have been fine. Just something, just yeah. one. But then I, I had my first child and my idea of who I wanted to be as an actor shifted. Mm-hmm. And I got a new agent, Barb Godfrey, shout out. And I remember saying to her that I wanted to, I had only done comedy and I wanted to sort of do the pretty rules and the fun rules. And she sat me down one day and said, you're, God bless you. You're not the Halle Berry, you're the Viola Davis. And I had never thought of myself as a dramatic actor. I'd only done comedy. Mm-hmm. Never considered myself as someone who was a powerful dramatic performer. Mm-hmm. And it's one person to change the narrative in my head and say, mm-hmm. no, I see you different. Therefore start to see yourself different. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, before I would try to um, find the cleanest, um, sort of the most palatable versions of characters when I auditioned. Um, And then when Barb suggested that to me, I started really studying Viola's work and listening to her interviews and I really shifted the way I attacked characters. I finally started making choices for myself, interesting choices, probably choices that weren't right Mm -hmm. for the parts. Um, started being really uh, ag- aggressive in, in my choices, not necessarily following the script. Mm-hmm. And I started taking characters and molding them to me, as opposed to me trying to wrap myself around a character. Mm-hmm. The thing that I knew after having a child was that I I was strong as shit. And so I started actively looking for character roles um that were sort of not necessarily Halle Berry but closer to Viola and that changed everything that was room and orphan black and then handmaids Mm -hmm. so that's when things started to shift and so then when I had a great journey for them for a while I was still hiding a lot of imperfection instability in my home life in my marriage so then when the moment um I said that I was on my hands and knees in my in my living room that's sort of when Everything came together. Mm-hmm. I finally found the kind of roles I wanted to do and the type of actor I wanted to be. I didn't have to be pretty and beautiful and perfect, but I was still hiding. Mm-hmm. So that moment when I finally fell to my knees, the inside matched, you know, the outside intention, if that makes any sense.
0: I mean, it does. Cause I think that we do uh, try to keep this perception that, um, that isn't great and isn't relatable. Like when you said you started finding like roles that uh, were more you? How did you put it? You more you? Like, do you find roles that you connect to, or that you find yourself in those roles?
1: Yes, my agent Barb says that there's <laughs> yesterday. Uh, uh, this to be a podcast <laughs> about Barb. She's one of my best friends. So I'll tell you right. She's
0: fantastic.
1: But she said that um, uh, I'm the kind of actor, and I do recognize this: that there I, there are very few roles that are suitable for me. <laughs> because i do i don't respond too much um i'm not very good at uh doing sort of uh the procedural stuff that is uh sort of the straight and narrow say the right. lines and do them i usually have to have the freedom to bend the character that i see on the page to me i mm-hmm. um, because I I find that that I can't I we're supposed to act and we're supposed to be like other people, but there is something in acting that draws us to a character that we, we can play well. Yeah. And if I
0: can't, but isn't that isn't that because it's us? Like yeah. There was times where I'd be like I'd play a character and people are like Oh my god, you're such a you're such a bitch as a character," and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm just playing a character. No. Uh, you know, some no 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 I have I have I have the bitchiness within me. Like mm-hmm. we have to all recognize those things because mm. that's actually what you know taps into those characters as opposed to removing ourselves yes we do
1: we do I found more and more too that I really was drawn to uh characters with a considerable amount of empathy um and that's sort of in my wheelhouse and I think it's really important as you age as roles become fewer and far between as we age unfortunately it's getting better but not amazing mm-hmm. um, that you have to know what you bring in yourself and what you can immediately tap into in a character that'll make it real mm-hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. that was helpful too to weed out some of the stuff that just wouldn't work by that meaning I'm not a very good police officer unless it's a, a cop like in room right I'm a very hard-hitting like
0: where were you at 1215. But you are. But that's just it. You're the Amanda Bruegel version of that, right? Like, we're not trying to do like, where were you at 1215 or like he's dead and then close his eyes. But you're going to Brugelize it. I am going to Brugelize it. But
1: sometimes. Here's another thing we can talk about. Sometimes uh, that's what they want. And I will say I get it. Canada, it's getting better it's starting to change uh execs and creators are starting to open their minds a little more especially with streamers now and how streamers have completely flipped television and how we see certain characters they can be three-dimensional even sort of the the smaller roles mm-hmm. um before especially in canada every role was sort of just stock, like doctor yeah. uh
0: i don't know what that was lawyer that was like your headshot you know like the headshot yes. of like construction worker yes
1: doctor yes and now Because of, I really do think it's because of streamers and because of prestige television, we've moved into an age where um, characters can be so much more nuanced and audiences won't be thrown. Right. Um, And so uh, I'm all over the place right now. That also helped me as a performer. I was never the type of performer that was able to be slid into a box. Yeah. A, because of the way I look, Um, uh, biracial, but also a lot of. casting director didn't know if I was afro latina if i was people didn't know and so i was always Mm -hmm. into the exotic category and i don't even know what that is but then as streamers started to come along and people started to not look like every character on the cw that also i do have to say i know that that had an impact on my career and the kind of roles that i was able to go out for yes Before, I mean, from the from the late '90s all the way up to the you know the mid 2000s, it really was um, a super sassy black best friend, or like um, like a kind nurse. And so now, because times have shifted, mm-hmm. I, I, it opened up a, a a huge area arena for me um, to then be able to be the type of actor I wanted to be, and that wasn't just the stock uh black sassy yes. characters
0: but what do you think you pushed those boundaries as well like it's one thing yeah you did yeah,
1: yeah I did but I, mean, I could have I did I I really did I mean I really yeah. started from the beginning you know not being open to uh roles where especially portraying a black woman who was um Um, uneducated or uh, a victim not that that's not the case all women of all sorts are can you know come from different uh, levels of education I just didn't want to perpetuate that story I wasn't interested in it I knew I was going to have kids and I just didn't want to do it so I would often audition if there was like sassy I know I remember there was like black hoe or black stripper number three or something yeah and I went in and I wore like full jeans and I had an accent and like an actual scottish accent and they didn't like it so i always did try to push it then but as much as i pushed it there still wasn't room for me like i I started pushing it strategically from the beginning of my career not wanting to play those roles but there still there still wasn't shows for me that would allow me to do that Really, with with streaming shows um streamers that to go outside of cable that people had the freedom to start letting people like me as a performer and physically who look like me started allowing us in more
0: yeah. I mean, this wasn't always your, your goal either, like this, what you're living like right now. There was a time when, like, I do want to go back because I think, I think it's so interesting the, um, where you started with school. Can we talk a little bit about, like, the scholarships you got and how you embraced it so entirely? Oh, wait, you didn't?
1: No, I did. It <laughs>
0: <laughs> was a lie. I've been lying for 25 years.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be a writer and all in high school i wanted to be a writer i went to a very serious dramatic high school we competed in the sears drama festival and it was a it was like the olympics for us. yeah
0: yeah us too was it oh my gosh yeah people were like warming up for like two hours before it i was like what's going on oh yeah yeah
1: you know in schools when they have the um the banners when they win a yeah yeah championship for sports for like basketball volleyball we had them for drama wow and we had them lined up and there was one year in 91 where the school didn't win the like the overall thing and there was a hole left no. a long black one like it was serious oh and my gosh it was perth and they would if we were if we weren't listening for notes when we had to take notes at the end of rehearsal they would scream perth and we would have to stand up at full attention so to this day honestly i get notes i stand up and i after the note i say thank you and I
0: do it to this day. <laughs> I mean, that's probably served you because a lot of actors get notes and go, yeah, but what I was trying to do was... no, no. no. So uh, I loved drama
1: and I loved acting, um, but I I wrote and I was a writer and it was Margaret Atwood reading The Handmaid's Tale when I was 15 that just like woke incredible in me that... I will never forget. And I would go home and doodle and write poetry and write and write and write and write. And so I uh, auditioned for the acting program. I wanted to get in, but ultimately wanted to be a writer. And so then for the, the, the writing um, sort of stream the next year, I wrote uh, like an application thesis on Margaret, um, on The Handmaid's Tale, on my
0: character, Rita, in The Handmaid's Tale. And that was in- That's like uh, the yeah. universe was like, we got you. In like yeah. 20 years, yeah. we're going to give you the bestest gift ever.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it has. And I mean, I'm going to get all like airy-fairy. That's happened so many times in my career, and I so heavily believe in manifestation and the law of attraction. You know, I know you do. And I think that I really will challenge people to go back and look at their lives and see how many times it's happened for them, and I think they'll be surprised. I mean, I think I'm looking for it, so therefore it's
0: I'm able to point – I agree though. These are muscles though, right? Like uh, I'm having so many discussions about muscles that we, uh, we don't exercise. And so then we expect to have them there. Like if you exercise the muscle of like signs, you'll start to see things. If you exercise the muscle of a risk, which is not something that I know you do a ton of, you start being able to risk without like fear. But if you're not risking like on a regular basis, you get all flabby. Who's kidding who your risk muscles.
1: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the risk muscles, they do yes you're right you're very right i really yeah. like that analogy actually i'm gonna start thinking about my you know my wrist muscles is all flat. i think
0: you do all the time amanda i think that's one of the things i love about you as i watch what you're doing i'm jumping away from school but i um i'll go back but i think when i watched your career when i watched you pursue your art your craft it's with this like fucking bold courageous risk thank you that's really nice. Do you feel that? You're looking at your face going, Meh. no, feel
1: I, I, yeah, 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 yes. I <laughs> thank you. I, I thank you. I do. I do. But I, I mean, I feel like we, there are so many more things I want to do. And so that's also a flaw of mine that I think, yeah, it's been risky, but Wait until I... And then when I'm at that point, when I take the final risk and it pays off, I'll be over it and on to something
0: new. When? When will it ever... When will you feel like you've, like... Like, it's not... I can't never. imagine that ever happening. Yeah. Because you're an artist. Like, artist... I don't think any artist creates things and goes, and done. I'm done. I'm <laughs>
1: amazing. I, I think did I it did all. it all.
0: Yeah. Um No.
1: Never. Never. Which is... I do think it's something that you and I have discussed this. I do think it's something that I actively am starting to try to work on because I've, there are so many wonderful things that have happened over the la- the course of the last eight or so years for me in career and in personal life. And just in my entire life that I, um, I'm so focused, laser focused on mm-hmm. what's next because mm-hmm. I have such a, a significant, uh, drive in me it's from my father that I completely skim over completely skim over events and completely skim over yeah. successes it's I it's, know sometimes you and I talk about that I'm like
0: I hope you're seeing what you're doing
1: I know I know and and we don't and I, I do also think that that is someone something that uh that is sort of a a trait of anyone who identifies as female it's this uh apologetic thing and not really openly celebrating your wins Mm -hmm. and openly i don't mean publicly i mean like openly to yourself Mm -hmm. yeah a little secret thing of like yeah i did a good job whereas men will accomplish something or someone who identifies as male will accomplish something i find and then um for a good six months we'll hold on to that the garage is clean yeah Yeah. and I we i will you know uh raised two children and one is uh, just diagnosed with ADHD and it's extraordinarily challenging and is struggling with reading and then dinners and then auditions and then balanced life and you're flying and you're, and then I, at the end of all of it, usually I'm shitting on myself Yeah, because I'll find the one thing that I didn't do right, Mm -hmm. or I'll really nitpick at the one thing that wasn't as successful as all of the other things. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, that's, that's something that I'm really actively trying to work on is, uh, um, thanking myself for where I've been or how, how far I've come and trying to acknowledge even the littlest sort of, uh, successes, personal and professional. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you do? Do you have like a daily routine now? Like what's your thing so that you kind of implement that into your life?
1: During the, uh, lockdown, the pandemic, Aiden, my partner was listening to a CBC podcast. Um, and they were suggesting that to get through tough days, there are so many beautiful moments that happen in the day. But a good thing to do to recognize it and, and remember it is to um, say a word. If, if something happens, you see a, a beautiful cloud and it affects you. Instead of just sort of watching by the moment, acknowledging it, and then going on with the rest of your day, you have to stop, say a word, and do an action. And it's somehow like. Show me. <laughs> I need to see what you're on. talking about. So if we see something or something is happening or we have a, a joke or something is nice, we say, delight. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. so ridiculous. I can't tell you how many times my, like at the time he was six, but now my now eight year old still, if something wonderful happens or my 11 year old, if something great happens, we'll all say delight. And so I do that. If something good happens, I do that. And then at the end of the night, I thank myself for being me. Isn't that nuts? I mean, I don't know. Like it's, I don't think it's nuts. At the end of the night, I will go through the day of, I don't do it every night, but I do it lots of nights. I will go through my day and think of the things that I did well. And then I will thank myself.
0: I think that's healthier than at the end of the day going, well, I didn't do that. And I didn't do that. Like well, we've got enough is. folks around yeah. us telling like we've screwed up <laughs> and judging us. Like yes. why do we have to also Yeah, be on I that But We do have enough folks. And I've been very open about this.
1: We do have enough folks that tell us this, but I've been very open about how I, I struggled my whole life with depression. And so I find it's not really the folks telling me that I haven't done enough. The, the most damaging voice telling me that I haven't done nearly enough is my own. Yeah. yeah and so at the, the end us. of the night going through the list of yes, even though I just landed this amazing television role, it's not the lead. Um, even though like, I, I'm not getting paid as much as like, I, I will find ways to sabotage uh, a success that had just happened. And so that's, that's something that I I've tried to change. And I have noticed, um, a shift in myself that I do going through my day. I am happier in after, like, I've been doing it now The thank you, I've been doing it now for around six months. And I have noticed a massive shift in going through my days and being able to recognize, um, my own successes. Personally. Yeah.
0: But that's that muscle too, right? Like, it's I think it's a muscle. It's like, no, it's not flabby. You got some, you got some definition in that muscle.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so then where, tell me where your writing is now. Cause I know, I mean, I actually know where your writing is, but I want to hear it because I think, uh, it was, um, I don't know what happened to it, like from school to now, because I know you're just starting to do more writing. Did you just sort of shelve it, be like, "I'm gonna deal with you later"? Passion. You know, I decided to. So when I I I wrote that that
1: uh, thesis application to get into the writing program, I got in. I was offered a full scholarship for all four years, and I turned it down. And I went into the acting program and paid no scholarship. Um, I I was afraid. I think I was afraid of. Uh, I was afraid of my own greatness. I was afraid of my own talent. I was afraid that uh, possibly I wasn't as good as I thought I had been, and what if I went and gave all I I had into this program and I ended up failing as a writer? I loved it so much, and mm. I wanted to be Margaret Atwood so much that I thought, I can't do it. I'll be acting as fine and it seems easier. Um, and right. so I just, I shelved it for, Uh, 22 years wow and i would write and i would someone said to me you do write because you write like stuff on facebook and sometimes i get overly sort of um i don't know cerebral about things um but i would write sometimes articles and sometimes just little bits and pieces and i i was so afraid that i wasn't good because it's one thing i knew that i loved and i knew that i was quite good at yeah. In acting I know that I'm a solid actor, but writing I think I'm quite good. Yeah. We very rarely can say that about ourselves as knowing that we're quite good. But I was quite good in secret. And I was so afraid that if I let anyone see that I the jig would be up and I would be discovered as it's actually not that good. It was my own little thing that mm-hmm. I a sense of pride that was untouched because I'd never really exposed it. Right. Um and so it was during uh, again, lockdown, everything came out of lockdown. Um, I started, uh, writing articles for magazines on motherhood and what it was like and the struggles of motherhood. And that opened up sort of a lot. I was on a panel for, I did a Canada Reads. And this was one of the best
0: Canada Reads I'd ever listened to, by the way. It was nuts. We got in trouble. I was sassy. I know, but that's why you were uncensored. I know people need to go back and listen to it, but the approach, not only to the the book that you were supporting, but to... The rest of the panel Mm -hmm. was like, like amazing. Yeah, I mean, and I I also eloquent. Like Amanda, you are such an eloquent. Remember, I mean, this is I'm going off, but that's okay. Uh, I remember listening to you speak at um, what was the Gina Davis? um, Oh, uh,
1: me too. Just right in the Me Too reckoning. It was yeah, uh,
0: share her too. Her share. Anyway, tell a story. Thank you. Share a story. I thought you were saying share. I was like, share was there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was in the back row. You couldn't, you couldn't see her, but she's really tall. So I was like, stand in <laughs> the back. Nobody can see around you. And you spoke, um, you spoke about what we needed to do, how we needed to be part of the change, how we needed to shift, keep the keep the foot on the pedal. And I was like, how, how, how is she? she? You just spoke so eloquently and so powerfully. You had the audience like throwing their hands up in like support and excitement. And there's this whole other thing about you, right? So, so Canada reads and journalism and writing, this is this like other little nugget of gold. How are you, how are you, uh, how are you, well, how are you dealing with this nugget of gold? Well, I uh,
1: am writing, as you know, because mm-hmm. you, you read it. Uh, at sidebar: We've changed a lot because we right. discovered something about the story, and now it's a lot darker, but it's funny still. But it's not right. like dun 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 dun. dun.
0: I um, want to. Well, still, I'll find some ways of throwing in like a, an arm fart. Yes, you will. Like that. Yes, you but will. Um, yeah, we'll um, read it and- again.
1: So we're, uh, we're at uh, a stage of, uh, in a, like a couple weeks going out to pitch, we're building the um, sort of the deck, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have, you don't know this. I also written a movie about um, my, my biological father. Uh, I didn't know him. He was a bit of a, he was a
0: bit of a, he
1: was a bit of a nefarious character yeah because um, you yeah. just
0: found out about him recently right through uh, 23 no, and me oh not I, not about him about yourself
1: i knew about him i found out about my older sister uh right. through 23 and me she didn't know about me surprise surely um and uh <laughs> so it's about uh just uh, sisters and uh, a father and finding out about adoption and um uh the hell's angels and uh um, the black market, and <laughs> it's another nugget that is actually my childhood that I've never really told. Yeah. So it's it's again through a comedic lens. I find comedy writing a lot easier for me. Yeah. But in um like sort of journalistic uh, approaches or sort of any essays I do, I find that is easier to be much more dramatic. It's interesting. Yeah. Like the spoken, like um dialogue, I find I can approach it um in a comedic way, but it's yeah. hard to get drama. Um, it's probably because an actor, as an actor, I still approach everything as comedic. Yeah. And Rita in A Handmaid's Tale, it's still, I still find, I read it as funny first and then I find the drama. Isn't that strange? Yeah.
0: I mean, tell me more about that. I'm, I'm curious.
1: I mean, I think. So, um, in order to, I'm giving away a lot. In order to, um, find a way into, especially dramas that are particularly heavy. I don't find in moments, in real moments of like serious heartache and trauma, they're serious for a bit, but they're never serious for no. the entirety of a scene in every situation that I've had where I've been, that's that situation where I was on my hands and knees and I was falling and I was in my living room and it was gone and everything was gone. I was crying, but then I noticed myself and I started laughing immediately or mm-hmm. you're in a fight. With it's your there, parents. right? Yeah. It's right there. It's there. Because they're just, I mean, it's the same part of your brain. They're so hand in hand and you can flip. And that to me makes it such a more interesting scene. It makes the character more interesting. Yeah, Never one noted. Um, We're always wrestling with tragedy and comedy. And so my way into situations usually is from a comedic standpoint. So I'll read it in a funny way, both lines, like everyone's lines in a funny way as if it was a comedy. And then I'll hear where the humor is, even if it's not there. And then I'll layer drama over it. But I still, so I say the line in a very serious way, but I've still heard in my head, right. it's funny. And so it's not as sort of heavy usually sometimes when I deliver certain lines, yeah. certain lines have to be because you're moving a story forward, but I will pick or choose in every scene I do. I will pick or choose at least one line that has to be funny.
0: Always. Do you do the same with comedy? Do you approach, like, do you read it through as, as dramatic first to see what else you can find? Yes. I read it through as serious as I can. Some of them yeah. are ridiculous, but as
1: serious as I can. And then there's usually one line, whether or not they allow you to do it or not. There's usually one line where I really try to go heavy yeah. mama, and, and as serious as possible.
0: I love that so much. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that if people can allow themselves, I don't know what it is, but if like in the most desperate of times, allow themselves to sort of look up and see the comedy, you might not be able to see it right then. Oh. Um, but, uh, like my father passed away and left like amazing nuggets of jokes that oh. he didn't mean to like, I mean, here's okay. Really briefly, but I don't even know how this will sit, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. So he passed away. We were at the cottage together and, um, I was waiting for the, the funeral service to come and get him. And they traipsed in, they didn't have the right boots cause we were in the snow. So they had to borrow my father's boots. So it was already like super awkward. And there was part of me that was like, I gotta preserve the, the, the peacefulness or the beauty of this, this time. I don't know if you felt this way with your, your process of grieving. Like there was a little bit, I was like precious, like, uh, because I knew these things were going to be embedded, right? These moments, the moment of the guy approaching with the boots. I knew that they were going to be there. And I saw them trying to lift my father. God, he he was a big guy. He was a big guy. And I was like, oh, they're not, they're not, they're going to drop him. (laughs) I'm going to cry they're gonna drop him and so I went I can't watch so I knew that they were struggling I turned my back and I heard like and he'd like hit the wall and you know like rigor mortis has already said and this is like a traumatic story to some but it was comical like this is part of life this is not and my father would have gone Jesus Christ are you kidding me like he would have been so ticked off but it was ridiculous so if we can't if we can't look at those otherwise like I'm just gonna be like in this pool of grief, that is unrealistic. I know, I know, Amanda. My father also said, "I can't wait to die so I can get back to work."
1: Oh, I love it.
0: So oh, uh, there's nuggets. I love that nice. process with your script. Um, yes, work. I think that's yeah. amazing. It's
1: it's, and I've I've always done that. And I've, if I'm being completely honest, I started doing it not because I I have a brilliant process, but because because I was so much more comfortable in comedy.
0: And so drama, I mean, that's where you and I fell in love. Yes. Cause I remember like oh, hanging out with you. No, yes. so even before that, cause it was seed, right? Matt and you were doing seed Yeah, and we see each other at parties. And I'm like, I just want to hang around the jokes of Amanda Bruegel. It was just <laughs> this, this like playfulness, which I don't think like, you know, because, because of Handmaid's Tale, because of room, I, I, I don't know what do, how, how do you think people perceive you as an artist?
1: Um, uh, as an artist or a person people perceive me as an artist in, in, in such a beautiful way, at least the ones who will tell, tell it to me, to my face. I don't know what they say behind my back, but, um, that as an artist, uh, that a risk taker and sort of slightly a a chameleon. And Mm -hmm. that's something that is the biggest compliment that I could ever get. I think because, uh, I will say this for any actors that are listening that very early on, um, Barb and my team, we have, uh, strategically, um, uh, chosen to, uh, flip back and forth between genres, between every, yeah, I see that. And so, uh, I'll do a comedy and then a drama and then a comedy and then drama. And, and then I started trying to weave in action and thrillers and, uh, horrors. RuPaul's um, Drag Race. Just Ruth throw calls, that in drag there. Drag Race. Um, just because I don't ever want to be, um, pushed into one category or just seen as the Handmaid's Girl, It's been the uh-huh. most successful thing. So people do sort of point at that, but, um, I, I don't ever want to be trapped in just, you do one thing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, that was the, that was the first question. I didn't answer anything. How do people see me? Well, I mean, I think- not, as I said that question, I'm like, actually I don't care. Like who would care? I I do want to answer it though because I do, I do find, um, and I think it's because a lot of Instagram and because I post a lot of fashion and like, like fashion photos, the over, uh, overwhelming response when people first meet me and they get to know me is they don't, um, they're, always that, um, I right. like they're always surprised that I constrain sentences together. Like they're always surprised that I'm moderately articulate.
0: Yeah. Why is that? Because you care about fashion so much, you can't be a smart fashion, uh, passion fashioner. Okay. Talking about stringing sentences together, you're welcome. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that, but I do. Like, I, I, I think the balance that you're achieving right now is quite enviable that you're able to, yeah, because look, like, the, cause I know you love fashion more than anybody I know. Uh-huh. More yeah. than anybody, I you know. I
1: got a um, blazer here. I don't know if you knew. I had a blazer.
0: Oh, I have a pair of shoes for you, by the way. I have to, I'll show you them afterwards. Um. So I think that, but I know that that's a passion of yours, and it can sometimes get overshadowed and yeah. be like that's trivial. But why? Why isn't that part of your art? Why isn't that part of your makeup? And why can't you do that and also be articulate and,
1: and also be a serious person? I. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I feel like too. It's um. Uh we want to sort of, uh, we want to always put people in a box and sort of hate on, not hate on them, but we want to sort of be able to pinpoint them, put them in a place because it's safe. We're at the end of the day, it's really safe to be able to be like, okay, you're the silly, like flighty fashion one. And you're the very serious actor. It's just easier for us to then know where we fit in. Right. People. I don't even think it's a personal thing against me. I think we do it because we want to know where we fit in to a, a larger picture.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I do it too. I do too. I'm like, oh, that's so I, what they do. So I, I gotta like, I gotta check in with my own uh, work on that. So I, and
1: I started realizing that it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with me and where I felt I fit in. I had to yeah. sort of quantify them or place them. By them, I mean others, anyone else, particularly actors as colleagues. I wanted to know where I stood in proximity to them, and so I would have to sort of label them, right, in order to mm-hmm. identify where I was. And that has nothing to do with them. That's me. That's my shit.
0: Yeah. I kind of want to say, like, it's also me wanting to know that I'm, like, on a place of, like, a level that I'm okay with. Like, so if somebody's like, yeah, like, if somebody's like, oh, you know, they're really good at that, I'm like, well, they're not this, which I am, and I'm like, what the hell? What are we doing? What are, That's what I
1: mean. It's not their stuff. It was, I, it's it, me. Would, it would always be my stuff. Yeah. If I'm being honest, um, th- that, I keep saying that. That's I know. I I, know. I
0: appreciate it. it, just so you know. And I appreciate that um, you are being honest, because the rest of this talk, full of lies.
1: Lies. Lies. Uh, I would do that uh, at the beginning, really coming up in my career with other women of color. Oh, yeah. I would um, immediately, not really, there's not really a label, but I would really try to find where I fit in in my level of blackness. Mm. That is an entire other conversation. But I really struggled with um, uh, my relationship to my own race, um, and that is being biracial and being comfortable in that uh in and this is in in relationship to audition rooms and so if ever i went into an audition room and it would be you know a a solid number of black women i would immediately try to find uh the i wouldn't really label people but i would try to put myself in the um space of um uh like the like the friendliest or or the nicest or the happiest because i just wanted to be uh accepted and i just yeah. wanted to be seen as black i find i would change the way i spoke i would code switch mm. and code switching is usually when you know uh people of any other any sort of race are try to make themselves a little closer to what the norm is at the time or what the norm is in the situation so that would be just being a little more white i mm. suppose mm-hmm. but instead i would code switch to sound a little more black, I guess. And that's Mm -hmm. a conversation that I've had with a lot of people who are biracial. And so I, I realized in doing that at a really early age that we, we, we do that. And I'm talking about how we label people or we, we like, we try to suss out situations to make ourselves feel safe. And so I I think we'll always do that, especially as actors, but we have to sort of question why. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's goes back to like high school of wanting to be popular wanting to fit in like I want to fit in in every group so I'm going to adapt to like what it means to be part of that group uh it's just my desperate need to fit in
1: yeah yeah Yeah. welcome to our world
0: I mean it was always there I I think uh you know I'm working um with um uh, Michelle Lonsdale-Smith she's my acting coach and we talk a lot about yes and we talk a lot about like you know like hard notes and being special and something that I I've been thinking a lot about is that a like we're all we're nobody's special nobody's specialer than anybody else we're all working towards right but in that same way nobody's any worse than anybody like so those evil notes that we give ourselves at the end of the day you think that I'm the only one that's messing up like everybody we're all messing up and we're all succeeding we're all in the same Beautiful absolutely. boat. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think about
1: that particularly at this, this time because we're recording this during TIFF. Um, oh my gosh. You know, Can you believe I,
0: we're doing this during TIFF? What are no. we, nuts? Yeah, no, we're nuts. No, no.
1: but we... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I
0: love you so much.
1: <laughs> uh. You know the, the, the feeling when you go to a party and you have a couple cocktails or maybe not, but you go to a party and you're talking mm-hmm. and you're having a great time and then you say something profoundly ludicrous or idiotic all the time. Then, me too. And then you go home that night and you think about it and in the morning, you're like, <sighs> Oh my God. And then you don't know what to do. And you're going to email the person and what have I done? I very quickly realized that no one cares. Nobody cares. Everybody Nobody cares. Of us are doing that. Yes. I don't remember if you said something offensive to me because I'm too busy being so self-involved and going through all of the ways I offended someone else. I don't have, yeah. I don't recall the way you, you, if you said anything to me, I mean, if it was a significant dig, I'd probably remember it, but I'd still be a little more um, sort of consumed with my actions. than I. Right. All I'm saying is that we're, we're too into ourselves to care.
0: Really. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, gosh, it feels like the theme is muscles, but the theme of like having a muscle that if I said something today that like I went, oh, something shifted in Amanda when I said that. Yeah. Then I can be like, my bad. I didn't mean to say this, like, you know, it kind of opens up the discussion about pronouns and things like that. But if you notice that you've used the wrong pronoun, or if you've said a word that maybe but just like, can we not, I mean, this is me talking to myself, but can I not just be human? Can I not just recognize that we all make mistakes and become better mistake makers? Yes.
1: Yes. And I think in recognizing that it allows someone else to to also jump
0: on board and say, Oh, I make mistakes too. Right. Yes. I mean, I know people are listening to this right now and be like, Amanda Bruegel, you don't make mistakes ever because... I know. But this is it. Like, look, the perception versus the reality.
1: That's very true. But it's also it's it's also a perception that I have curated and I do maintain. It's it's not real. And I I, I'm I'm highly aware of it, of what I've done to myself. Um, uh, But yeah, we're the come to my
0: house. Uh, no, your house is gorgeous. Your—I remember say, coming over at Christmas time and you decorated. You do the banister every season, and I'm like, "What the hell? How do you do this?" And you said, "I don't know." You looked all like crazy eyes. You're like, "I don't know."
1: It's just a mixture of like insomnia and anxiety and always having to accomplish things. So I'm yes. like, "I have an 18-foot banister. Let
0: me, let me, let me decorate it." From I have three Christmas trees. I know it really so. is. It's madness. It's madness. So, okay. Tell me how you're, are you exercising the mistake maker version of you these days? Uh,
1: the, am I, am I like actively
0: making mistakes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you, tr- like, are you like clocking that? Because I, I actually kind of relish my mistakes a little bit because I can just go, it's a mistake because I risked. It's a mistake because I, I'm out of my comfort. Uh, or it's a mistake because I'm, I'm, I'm walking too fast in my trip all the time.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't, I know. I don't, I don't think I am. I don't think I am. I think that I, I, I'm, I mean, maybe I am. No, I'm not. I'm lying. I, I'm actively these days. I'm still trying to um, be more gentle with myself. And so maybe I am in a way, but the muscle that I'm really trying to define is um, uh, making space for uh, accomplishments and and uh thanking myself every day for getting through the day with uh you know just by the skin of my teeth um so that's really what i'm working on myself mm-hmm. as a mother i have tremendous guilt as a mother if i have to go away um myself as a partner if maybe i'm a little sharp with my partner i have guilt um so the muscle that i'm i'm really working on and i'm really trying to define to define is um, celebrating myself at every moment I can.
0: I think that's the same thing. Yeah. Cause right. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Like I think what you just said is like celebrating the mistakes that you like, Oh, Oh, I didn't. Yeah, you're right. Like, I think Whoa. you're doing good, buds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, you did it.
0: Delight. <laughs> Delight. Um, all right, look, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to wrap this chat up. We're yeah, going to take a little break and yeah. then we're going to come back and talk about this very exciting announcement the uh, Brugelix sneakers announcement oh god i almost almost couldn't say my own last name um but i love you so much i love you so much all right let's take a little break and then come back Okay, we I know also that this is Tiff time. So, I can see your feet barely moving cuz you're probably spinning plates with your feet as yeah. we're talking, writing emails, uh tweeting, Instagramming, mm-hmm. um TikToking. Listen, uh I'm so excited. So, this year, 2022, every year, uh Firecracker Department uh does a Blaze Award and uh, it goes to somebody that is not only excelling and kicking it in their career, but in the community as a leader and uh just 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 you it's just what? who you are and so we'd give it to jan arden and michelle buteau and joe vanicola and this year it's going to the one and only amanda brugel mm-hmm. so as we shift things with firecrack department i was like how can we make this different and one of the things i love about firecrack department is like you know when you came remember when we had our first in-person uh tiff event and you came and people were yeah. like And then other people that were just starting their careers were also at that party. And they're like, I'm at a party with Amanda Bruegel and like Danny Kind and Jan Arden. Uh, And I was like, that's how it should be. We're supposed to be collaborators. We're supposed to like, tomorrow, I'm going to work with somebody that's, you know, doing a new short film. Next week, I'm going to do something that I'm the newbie on the set. So. Yeah. So that's why we came up with this idea. So we are going to do a series, a short series of what we are calling blazing discussions with Amanda Brugel, Naomi Sneekers, and it is going to be curated discussions by you. Yes! I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited so excited this. about this. I, I mean, know. I like doing the one-on-ones, but I'm so jazzed to have like you as like a, I don't know, a colleague next to me for this. Thank so
1: I'm so excited too. I, I really do think, you know, um, uh, it's not going to be like this, but do you know uh, SNL the um, the two I forget who the two people oh are God. on the Sweater Weather.
0: Sweater. Oh sweater. my God! Are you talking about the um, the radio women that do yes. all the like the innuendos and yes. Like-
1: yes. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes. What are you wearing? Sweater. A- it's not going to be like that between you and I, but I do. There is a bit of a ping pongy fun vibe that we have together that I yes. can't wait to put our you know esteemed guests uh, through that. um i'm excited because the 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 people on this list um are just people that i've always admired and really want to sit down and have a real conversation with yeah a real discussion with and i find here in canada uh, a lot of uh Artists, we don't really have a platform to uh, have lengthy discussions. We sort yeah. Of city line, nothing wrong with that. Or we go on breakfast television in the but morning. But
0: it's sound bites, right? Which is fine. Yes. But look at what we just talked about. I know. It's such, I got, you wouldn't get that on city TV. <laughs>
1: No, you wouldn't. And I do want to know more about the artists we have in this country. You uh-huh. want to know what makes them tick. Selfishly, I would like to know, because anytime I do meet, um, you know, inspiring people, I'm always left with something that I take forward with me. And so mm-hmm. hopefully we can do that.
0: Yeah. Not, well, let's talk. I don't, I want to talk to, like about the prep for this because I would love to talk to you about things we. this has to be and things yeah. we don't want this to be. Like, I don't want this to be I don't know, like like a rundown of people's resume. Oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. No. I don't no, want it to no. be that.
1: No, I mean we can we can sort of let people know where they are. I don't I don't want any sort of what's coming up next.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With, unless it's like a creative, like I don't know, like I'm really excited, like like a, a creative platform where you're like, oh, I'm excited because I'm doing this artistically or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, I would I'd love to know what makes people tick
0: yeah how they sort of what we
1: discussed today how uh how they're able to overcome their inner saboteur uh what their failures have been how they've gotten over them it doesn't have to be dire you know and and no it's It's you and me no yeah it's no it's never going to be
0: (laughs) it's not gonna be dire we're gonna be i think it'll be really fun but i also think it's something an opportunity you know because these are people we might know a little bit just like, because we've worked together a little bit. So they've got like a safety of this discussion. Like, Mm. I really hope we can, this sounds a bit hokey pokey, but I really hope we can be truthful about these discussions. Like I, I'm really like challenging myself, even from what you and I just spoke about in the first part is like, let's just be like mistake makers. Let's see Mm. what happens when we like put ourselves and I tell you the story about my father's dead body. (laughs) I can't believe I told that story, but okay. I'm okay with it yes i would like it to be yes that
1: yeah it's sort of a a a public vulnerability that you don't usually get yeah um at events which is where i would have interact this long of an interaction with most of these people yes so i i like the idea of a safe space to just you know really get
0: really get into it i don't like that line get into it But, um, dig deeper into it, right? Like we're winning. It's the dig deepness of it. Yeah. I don't, I just don't, that's it. That's the difference. I don't want to do a conversation that is like, can you imagine a podcast? What movies are you watching and how's the weather and how is the sports you're watching? I want to like, find out what, how did they get out of the trenches? Because I think that the more we're talking about this, the more, I mean, as you said, I learned master classes for me every single time I have one of these chats, I go away going, Oh, yes. Mm Yes.
1: And I, I, I do think, I mean, knowing the people that are going to be, uh, uh, appearing on the show, um, I, I do, I mean, maybe not, maybe they'll clam up, but I do think they will, um, they'll, they'll be <laughs> into
0: yeah. transparency and honesty. I do, I do think so. I think it'll be, it'll be what it is and i'm excited just to have like this this time with you too like it's such i mean selfishly amanda what am i kidding this we haven't been recording at all it's just me wanting to hang out and the only way i can hang out with you is if i pretend there's a podcast stop it (laughs) um yeah do you want to sell a couple of the names that we know for sure yes so wendy krewson has said yes yes so excited
1: yes wendy krewson is going to be fantastic wendy she just you hear, even hearing her speak and i've heard her speak at sort of actra uh conventions or events or even um uh, uh meetings with producers mm-hmm. but she it's no holds barred and she is a wealth of knowledge and information and honesty and that's great
0: yeah yeah you know what i'm so happy that you suggest because you've given me a list of folks like a hopeful list which i also love because um, most of the names I know, but most names, like, because you curated it, it's such a great way of involving your community into our community. Yeah. Um, and I saw Wendy, I, I did something on, uh, pretty hard cases and she was there and we were both like, I love you so much. Why am I not seeing you more? Like, it was so great. And Wendy Krusen to me is like, Wendy Krusen. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then we just had this really honest discussion about, like, nerves on set and all the things around. That which was, uh yeah. She's just a real. She's the real deal.
1: The real deal. That's what I'm looking for in these. Yeah. And then
0: speaking of real deals, we got Meredith as well joining us. Yes. Yes. She's she's a for sure. Z's.
1: Hold on to your buckets.
0: Oh my god! I'm so I'm so excited.
1: That is Meredith is one, and I'll tell her this too. Meredith is one where I think it'll be. I would like to pose the question of how do you think people see you. As an artist, and oh yeah, as a person. Oh, yeah. that's good. She is the uh, stop. Turn off my announcements. Get out of here. Your
0: assistant to do that. Just,
1: uh, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I with a name there. Uh,
0: yeah, just changes every week because you fire yeah. them and get new fire assistants. Fire them, mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. she
1: is someone who is um uh so smart and oh uh, smart she's a risk taker this is what i love oh, about her to a point where i i want her to stop i want to sit down <laughs> Reward for her safety Seatbelt. Um <laughs> that's right and it inspires me so much because of the risk takingness. and i feel like usually i'm the one who's leading the charge and it's like well, uh-huh. we can do it and that meredith comes in the room and is like i've done it we're gonna do it again here's your like badge. Let's go. Here's your shoes. Like it's, it's she's, she's a, yeah. uh, she's a firecracker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that's exciting.
0: Yeah. And um, maybe we have to do that one over Rosé. Oh, I know what I was going to say. That question of like, how do you think you're perceived as an artist and a person? Let's, why don't we compile like a little, like five questions. Like our so. go-to blazing discussions. Questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Like so so we maybe we can actually get time. folks to write, say it again.
1: That we ask everyone every time. Yeah. Like standard,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, um, you know what? I, I'm going to ask you the questions. I usually ask my firecracker department podcast guests at the end of this chat, okay. uh, but maybe we can pull, if we like any of those, but maybe we can open it up to like the community and say like, what's a burning question. We can call them burning questions. All right. You no, know, cause should we call them blazing questions. Yeah. Yeah. Blazing questions. I like that better.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love I- it. I know you just threw that out by accident, or you just sort of going with the flow. But I do really like sort of the. I'd like just to see how self aware people are, how, or how honest they are about being self aware. Yeah, I do you like the idea of um, perception as artists and how we think we're perceived. I know. We we're perceived. And- I mean, part of
0: me thinks, why do I care what? How? But I, I mean, we're all artists, and we are all um, self involved. People, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to care. But also, I think that's interesting because then there are also gifts of like, oh, I see you as this. And you're like, I've never seen that before. And maybe like when Barb said it will change your mindset and change yes. your, your approach. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, And we also have Jennifer Holness. Did I tell you? Jennifer oh, yeah. No. Yeah. 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 yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so we've already got like that's our first three. And then I know you have a list that we're going to start approaching, but, um,
1: oh gosh, that's, there's amazing. not a,
0: there's not a dud in the list. There's, there's not, a not one, one that I'm,
1: like boring. I know. And if there was, would we say it?
0: No, no, we wouldn't, but it no. wouldn't be on your list. You're not like, Oh, I'm going to talk to so and so. They're kind of boring. I'm going to toss in the
1: like one dud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Here, I'm going to do these firecracker wrap up questions. Okay. And, um, and then oh, we'll say goodbye. Oh, no, no. Uh, fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is? Uh, um, explosive. What do you want to be best known for? My heart. Um, if this was a movie, if your life was a movie, what do you think was uh, like a turning point for you that changed your future? I feel like I know the answer because we talked about it, but.
1: In my life, what the turning yeah. point was? Yeah. Uh,
0: uh,
1: my dead dad and my ex husband. Yeah, I love how fast you're talking, and I never said there's a time limit. <laughs> um, what's something that people don't know about you? Oh, I have submechanophobia.
0: What the F is that?
1: Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay, I'll slow down. Oh my God. Um, we have time. I want to know what this is. Submechanophobia is a phobia, and it is a real one on the internet. I'm not, judging. I'm not judging. You're <laughs> yeah.
0: like, eh, listen. Another thing. Um,
1: <laughs> it is the fear of man-made objects submerged underwater. So the, the can I swear? I think yeah. I've already sworn. The Enjoy. fucking Titanic, Naomi?
0: Uh-huh. Terrifies you.
1: No, I will, I, I will sacrifice my kids. Like if people say, would you take a bullet for? No, no. No, not this I- one. Get, take them. I can't touch a picture of um, shipwrecks because I'm afraid that I'll what? get sucked in. Uh, if we're swimming anywhere, and if there's a bike, I, I'm I'm better with forks. I've really worked on like forks or silverware underwater.
0: So if you saw like a fork underwater, originally it'd be I like that know. freaks me out because I would I, I would I would swim to
1: shore. I wouldn't even swim to shore. I would drown. I would drown myself.
0: But um, is that because you like you give? Objects' personalities, and you think that poor little fork is dying. You no, know,
1: I've done so much research on it. I went to therapy. I didn't go to therapy before, but I brought it up to my therapist because I was like, "This is problematic. It's weird." Um, it's apparently it's your when your brain goes into fight or flight mode, and objects that are not supposed to be sort of rusted, and objects that are not ah. supposed to be associated with water that are man made, and they're supposed to be on land and they're underwater. There's a part of some people's brains that can't compute. So it immediately, you immediately go into flight mode. Interesting. So ships are supposed to be above water. They're not supposed to be on the ground covered in, you know, um, barnacles
0: and stuff. How do you so- feel about like rocks that sometimes are above water, sometimes are underwater?
1: Love rocks. They weren't made by men.
0: Oh, it has to be man-made. Okay, okay. Men, and it's underwater and I okay. don't make-
1: um, but uh, you know what it is, I think, and i don 't know for sure in the eighties when the Titanic was found, my parents had a subscription uh, for National Geographic magazine, and on the cover it 's a very famous cover of when the Titanic was found, and it was a hologram. I was like eight years old or seven years old, and it came to the door and I picked it up and i 'd never seen a hologram and it was the Titanic underwater as a hologram, and it right. came out at me, and I remember dropping it on the floor and then like I just, it's such a core memory of dropping it on the floor and sort of backing away. So maybe that's it. I don't know, but
0: I, I've never heard of this. I think it's fascinating. Um, one year we had a party at the cottage and at the end of the party, a bunch of our lawn chairs were missing. And I was convinced that people at the party had stolen. them. I was like, well, I guess people are coming to our party and sleep a like the
1: party favor
0: yeah. no no they were like oh I'm just gonna take a chair and nobody asked like just have a chair take a chair it's like the penny jar and uh a year later Matt and I were standing on the dock and I looked down and there were all our launchers were submerged. there were four underwater <laughs> and they had somehow just gotten blown but I I owe oh. a big apology to all my guests for the blaming of it who went in and got them we did we scooped them. we hooked them and Absolutely. then pull them up it was like but it was so victorious no so you don't want to be part of that you don't want to see them emerge i don't want to hear this conversation <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's move on let's move yeah. on <laughs> um what what's been your this is a great question i want to look at me this is a great question that i ask but what's uh, been your favorite mistake and what did you learn from it
1: oh dearie me my, uh, my favorite mistake was staying in a, a marriage much longer than I wanted to or knew that I should,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I knew that it was healthy for myself and for my children and for my ex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the, my favorite mistake in, uh, knowing when to leave situations, even though painful and it might hurt other people knowing what's best for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Lovely. Um, what's something you haven't done, but you know, you have to do go see a shipwreck. Nope. Nope. Do nope. Don't even talk um, about it. I, uh,
1: I, I haven't, um, I haven't written my own project and starred in it and I yeah. have to do it and I will.
0: Yeah. It's like around the corner. Yeah. It's around the corner. What well, makes you feel powerful?
1: Um, motherhood, my children, mm-hmm. uh, tucking my children at night and knowing that they're peaceful and sleeping. It makes me feel like I, I could lift a car.
0: Yes. I understand that. I don't have kids, but I understand like that peacefulness of going like, yes, things are right in the world right now.
1: Or I'm good at this. It's the one uh-huh. besides writing. It's a, at the, uh, that's a, that's a good question. I want to ask this one for guests. What, what, yeah. what is one thing that, you know, like um,
0: ultimately that you are profoundly good at and mm. I, I am a very good mother. I love that. We had that discussion except we, we um, phrased it like, what's your superpower? Um like my superpower was finding um old food in the fridge and making a nice meal out of it what it's just a skill. it's a gift it's a gift Amanda. um yeah, I love that for our blazing discussion or blazing okay. questions um what uh what's the best advice you ever received and what's the worst advice you ever received?
1: uh best advice I ever received was um it's so cheesy but never take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, just never st- taking out or, or two parter or just uh, ask for, like, just ask. Yeah. If someone gave that to me and I started asking for things and then mo- for the most part, people say yes. And this always would shock me. Um, the worst advice, uh, was from Bing Rames in, uh, 2000 and I'm going to say seven, they told me that I was approaching 35 and that was the end of days for actresses. I've mean, yep. years left. So uh, good luck to me. I was going to have to, I was going to have to pack it up.
0: Yeah. I had somebody say, so find think- out, find something else to do when you turn 40 for, until you hit your grandmother uh, years.
1: Yes. Oh, I didn't get that. I just, he just got 35. You're out.
0: That's it. Dunsville. Yeah. Suck it. Yeah. Um, We've, we usually do like shout outs to the firecrackers, but we did that with Meredith and Jennifer and Wendy. So final question is advice you would have given to you a younger Amanda Brugel. Um, uh,
1: the advice I give, I'm trying to give myself and working on my muscle now. And that is, I'm looking at the camera that is uh, thank yourself every day because mm-hmm. you're phenomenal and you're crushing it. Thankful.
0: You are crushing it. I have so much more. I mean, I hope that we can find in our discussions with other folks, I got pockets where I can like find out more and share more stories of like you as a kid and what your life is like with Aiden and all those things. I'm, I think, uh, you know, you know, I think you're an extraordinary crusher of things, all things.
1: Thank you. I feel the same way you know that.
0: Oh my God. I love you so much.
1: I love you so much too.
0: Hey, everyone, it's Naomi, and I'm going to tell you that this is the last time you'll be hearing just from me, because the next time you'll be hearing not only my voice, but it's going to be with the lovely, talented, oh, the smart, the beautiful, just the coolest friend in the world, Amanda Bruegel, who's going to be co-hosting with me. And you'll notice in this chat, we called our new show The Blaze Discussions. Well, that's not happening anymore since that chat, which was in September, for crying out loud. We had further talks with our podcast production team, and we decided to call it The Blaze Sessions. Cool, right? I mean, I love this title so much. The Blaze Sessions, it just has a great ring to it. Now, special thanks goes to our production team for the Firecracker Department podcast that helped get us to this point. And that's Winnie Wong, Shane Stoltz, Vicki Breerbrier, Alyssa Abler, Sid Nielsen, editing by Jen Rowley and Jordan Giddens, We could not be here without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the love, support and hard work that you've done for us in the past and big thanks also to our new team led by consulting producer, Jen Morose for the editing wizardry of Jennifer Rowley. Now you're going to want to subscribe, like, share, review this podcast, and then check back repeatedly because we are going to be dropping our eight part series, The Blaze Sessions, in April. And you're going to want to be one of the first to know, you know? Okay, so till then, go to firecrackerdepartment.com for all things firecrackery. On our socials at firecrackerdept to get involved. Hashtag The Blaze Sessions for all the Blaze Sessions information. And know that there's always a chair for you at the Firecracker table. If you want to get involved in any which way, reach out to us through the website. We'd love, love, love to hear from you. All right. Next time I see you, it'll be through the Blaze Sessions with Amanda Bruegel. And I cannot wait. See you then, everybody.